0: It's Monday, it's midnight, it's my top ten. I've had a really busy week this week. It's been a real effort getting this podcast edited, but I've done it. I'm so proud of myself. Also, when I was recording it, that was also a little bit of effort as I was hungover. It was my birthday the day before, but my guest was absolutely lovely, very patient with my gormlessness, and he is comedian, musician, and storytelling YouTuber, Jay Foreman. So without any further ado, let's get on with the show. How are you? Um, Good to be here. Glad to be here. It's a very nice part of the world that we're in.
1: We are in um, deepest, darkest North London suburbia. And uh, I've just moved into this place, by the way. That's why you've got half plaster walls all over the place and wires and stuff all over the floors. I'm a suburbanite now. I'm still getting used to it.
0: I thought it was some kitsch new sort of decorating style I'd not heard of.
1: Maybe I should claim that's what it is. When yeah. people come round in weeks' time and the house is still not finished, I can say, no, no, it's meant to be like this. Check out the half-plastered wall. It's what all the kids are doing now. It's the
0: hipster of hipsters. Yeah. Design.
1: Except uh, my priorities have now moved on and I'm no longer trying to do what all the kids are doing. I find that increasingly I'm, I'm just like a grown-up, you know, with a, a house living out in the suburbs, complaining about the, you know, lawnmowers of the neighbours and all sorts of other boring grown-up things. What's happened to me? I'm sorry. Oh, it's not entirely your fault, don't worry.
0: But on the subject of what's happened to you, Jay, uh, could you give us your life story in three sentences, please?
1: Only three sentences. So that's it. Uh, I was born on a Thursday, which means, according to the rhyme, that I am full of woe. Was that two sentences or one? Well, I... That was one. That's the first sentence. Of that. Okay. Uh, I've just used up like, the second sentence there with that question about the first sentence, and for the third sentence, I will go with, and here I am. <laughs>
0: And are you full of woe, Jay?
1: Am I full of woe? It depends. If woeful things happen, I get full of woe. That was a very
0: dark turn so early on for me. Sorry about that.
1: But well, we all get full of woe when woeful things happen, don't we? Ah, uh, sadly. Even the happiest of us sometimes get full of woe. Um,
0: but th- in terms of things that have made you woe-free, uh, like career highlights, for example, um, can you recall three career highlights? Three career highlights? Yes.
1: Um... There's one that I go for when people ask me. Um, one time, I, I did the Hammersmith Apollo um, and it's great fun to be able to claim that I performed in front of a huge audience in the Hammersmith Apollo, but the secret is it wasn't really my gig. I was doing the, I was a support act on Dave Gorman's tour, so it was for his audience, but it was still a really wonderful show because the Hammersmith Apollo is one of these venues where, um, from the stage... When you look out into the audience, no one is far away. They've somehow managed to squeeze three thousand people into what feels like a small comedy club. That's what makes it such a magical venue. So yeah, that's a that's a career highlight. I'll go for. I don't think it
0: matters that they weren't there specifically for you. I think that they were there and they were watching and listening.
1: That's true. Well, if I get you know um, elderly relatives who don't understand what I do, and they ask me, I, I do actually doing a proper career as a comedian? Can you, can you justify it as an actual job? And, you know, as long as I can say the words Hammersmith Apollo, they can go, oh, I, oh, I suppose that's all right. then. Yeah.
0: So two other highlights.
1: Two other highlights. Let's see. Um, one time in a dressing room, they had uh, a bag of um, Haribo that I wasn't expecting, and it really cheered me up. That was a highlight for the day. Um, let's see, a third highlight yes. of my career. My career is hard to talk about because it's all these various different strands that have very little to do with each other. Because on the one hand, I do the live shows, which is um, funny songs on the guitar, usually to children nowadays. And then the other entirely unrelated parallel career I have is all the stuff I do on YouTube. And most people who know me for one thing, they don't know about the other thing. So I guess if I'm picking three highlights, I should choose one from each thing.
0: Unless the variation is a highlight.
1: Yeah, that's one of the nice things about the job that I do is that if I get bored of one thing, if I've spent a couple of weeks working on songwriting or stuff for the live shows, I can decide, well, I want to focus on YouTube for a bit and just flip from one to the other. Whereas if I was working as a chartered quantity surveyor or a systems analyst, I think it'd be a lot more rigid in my work.
0: And is it quite, quite an organic process? Do you think, is it literally a case of, ah, oh, I'm bored of this, I want to do a bit of this?
1: Yeah, I tend to work on whatever I feel like working on which isn't always the best thing when I've got deadlines looming. But um, editing, for example, if I'm putting together a YouTube video, there's like a thousand and one different tasks to do. Like whether I'm color correcting a scene over here or cutting the timing on a scene over there or doing graphics here or sound editing there. And every single one of them is so boring. What I like to do is just sort of dabble in one bit, get bored, go to the back of the timeline, dabble in the other bit and keep going. And then eventually after weeks and weeks and weeks, um, the uh, finishing the project will creep up on me. I'll search around the timeline looking for other things to finish and go, oh, no, wait, hang on. Oh, I, I, I finished? <laughs> it's a bit like when you're eating a chicken. You don't finish eating a chicken. You just sort of look through the bones and sadly realise there's probably none left. That's my approach to editing.
0: Do you enjoy the editing process more than, say, the filming? Which which bit of the process of...?
1: I would, say, I would say that I enjoy the editing the most because the editing is the bit where you have the most control. With editing, you're literally controlling time. There's no better feeling than, you know, having all power over everything, the storytelling, the way it looks and sounds, and the overall thing. Whereas the filming is actually the stage of the filmmaking process that I enjoy the least. Because you've got no control. There are so many things that can get in the way when you're trying to film, whether it's uh, the weather, the sun going in and out, uh, noisy lorries going past, annoying members of the public, um, people coming along and telling you to move, or um, equipment going wrong, me forgetting my lines. Those are all things that, you know, can make you very grumpy on the day. Whereas editing, you're in the, the luxury of your own uh, half-decorated home.
0: I think that you're very good at making a virtue of things that do happen out in the field though. Uh, I was watching a video where um, you were outside a market stall uh, and the guy sort of who owned the stall was sort of standing behind you sort of watching over what was happening. Um, and then there was an arrow pointing to him saying he forced us to buy something.
1: Oh yeah. I think it's fun to throw those things in. There was one um, improvised moment that I really enjoyed. Um, I was doing a piece to camera talking about uh, something like trams. And then uh, while I'm talking, a man on his bike goes right in front of me, in front of the camera, waving. And so I decided to just chase after him. And then when I put the edit together, I thought, actually, that was quite funny. I look really angry. I'm going to leave that in the final version. And people were commenting, saying that was one of the highlights of the video for them. And they were saying, is that guy one of your friends? Is that an extra? Because I know you often do that. You know, you fake things going wrong. And was that one of them? And no, it wasn't. That was that was a genuine, really annoying passerby.
0: And the trouble is, because it is, you do have quite a quirky style, when things like that do genuinely happen, it's... It's almost ruined because people probably think it is just something that you've done.
1: It's a strange thing. It's a bit like, um, I'm thinking of the play that goes wrong. Yes. Where people imagine, oh, because it's supposed to be chaos, if something actually goes wrong, they can use that as a virtue and they can actually celebrate that something went wrong on the stage. Whereas it's got to be the opposite. If it's, uh, you know, if you'll forgive a cliche, organised chaos, it has to be more than any other type of show, extremely tightly scripted. You know, it's acrobatic what they do. And not to compare my stuff to that, but, you know, just because it's full of silliness and full of nonsense doesn't mean that it's not incredibly tightly scripted and storyboarded, because it, it, it has to be. Of
0: course, yeah. So what is your subject of your top ten?
1: My subject of my top ten today is, is YouTube videos. Because YouTube, um, it dawned on me just the other day that YouTube has now been around for a very long time. It's been around since 2005, which these days is um, 14 years ago. And it's changed so much in that time because um, I remember YouTube was where you go for short, weird videos. And, you know, if you go around to someone's house and you talk about, have you seen anything funny on the Internet this week? Oh, yeah, let me show you this. And you would start what I'd call it a QTube of people lining up very silly, funny little clips to watch. But what's changed now is that YouTube has become, for a lot of people, young whippersnappers especially, it's become a very mainstream thing to watch and people watch, they, they sit down and watch much longer videos. And a lot of the stuff is homemade rather than, you know, stuff that you have to find that was on TV decades ago. Um, and a lot of it is made using these really nice expensive cameras and YouTube is now, it looks very, very different from how it did some years ago. And I rather miss when YouTube was short videos, when it was weird because what it is now is long-form people talking about themselves and people talking about make sure you like and share and subscribe to my channel that's that's not what YouTube is about for me and I've compiled a list of uh, ten-ish videos um, that would be my go-to if there's a Qtube starting and if I want to show people a very silly, very funny video that I found
0: So speaking broadly um... What sort of things do you look for to, in a video to stick it on like YouTube?
1: Something that's going to make everybody laugh, really. Something that you uh, wouldn't find on TV because it's too weird. That's something that um, I think YouTube used to be very good at. Is You'd find these things that you'd wonder, who the hell made this? What, what the hell is this supposed to be? And that's what is funny about it. That it's a bit scary as well as a bit funny.
0: So you've got a list of 10, but are there any sort of uh, near misses that didn't make the list that are just sort of bubbling around outside the top
1: 10? Um, Well, when you first emailed me and said what would you like your top 10 to be, my first thought was YouTube channels. And I thought that would be a nice fun way for me to recommend uh, channels that I subscribe to and things I enjoy watching. And it then dawned on me that um, the best videos are the ones that stand alone and the rest of the stuff on the channel is not worth watching or it doesn't necessarily come from a channel. So um, yeah, there's sort of near misses, uh, honorable mentions go to some fun YouTube channels that I enjoy watching, but they don't particularly have any one video that I would dare to put forward in a Qtube. So for example, um, there's a channel I enjoy watching called Geography Now which is uh, it's the only YouTube channel that uploads their videos entirely in alphabetical order. It's um, an education channel all about uh, the nations of the world Um, And each country is given a uh, 15 or so minute long profile with all the information you could want to know about it. But it's very fast paced and it's very funny. And uh, I've been a fan since Belgium and he's gone all the way up to Paraguay. (laughs) So what was
0: um, special about Belgium that got you on board?
1: Um, I think I saw it come up in my recommended feed. It says um, all the information you could want to know about the country of Belgium. And the thumbnail looked inviting, so I clicked on it and I I thought, that's actually quite interesting. And it made me laugh as well. So I clicked on the subscribe button and sure enough, took me all the way through the B's and the C's all the way up to Paraguay today.
0: And obviously you've gone back to Belarus and Antigua and Barbuda. Oh yeah,
1: I've watched all of them. Even the obscure, um, very small island nations that I don't care about. Those are the best ones because it's possible that he's hidden some lies about those countries in there and no one's going to pick him up on them.
0: Yeah, and that's something I've heard you say is important in your uh, historical and or factual uh, films, is that while you like to play around with the humour and make people laugh along the way, the facts are something that you want to stick to. You don't want to mess with the facts.
1: Yeah, this is something that people find a little hard to understand because the documentaries that I put on YouTube, they're they're extremely silly. You know, they've got a lot of... Um, Well, the reason I make them very silly and full of jokes is to make people actually watch. You know, there's... Most people on the internet don't actually care about British geography or politics or town planning and, you know, unbuilt infrastructure. So to make it something entertaining and worth watching and sharing, I put in loads of uh, surreal jokes and sketches and, you know, wacky humour that you probably wouldn't allow on TV. And yet, it's entirely factual. People assume because it's silly that it must be full of lies. But it's not. We take the... um, the actual content, excuse the C word there, but, you know, the actual historical facts that we're talking about very seriously indeed, even if we do sometimes make, in the, uh, in the case of the recent episode of Met Men, lots and lots of mistakes.
0: And you've been uploading for about 10 years now? Oh, God, that sounds like on. a long time, doesn't it? Yeah, my,
1: my first episode of Unfinished London is now very nearly 10 years old. But in those in those days, um, as, you know, as, as we're about to discuss, YouTube was very different. And um, in general... People weren't uploading to say, please subscribe to my channel. They were just sharing it on this video sharing website called YouTube.com. And when we made the first episode of Unfinished London, it was meant to look like a TV show. Um, But nowadays, I've got people, people are very nice. They leave comments on that old video from 2009 and they say, this was really ahead of its time. Well, no, it's not because it, it was trying to look like TV at the time, which is what TV did look like. They think it's ahead of its time because nowadays, on YouTube, ten years later, everything is shot with nice cameras and in 2009 most stuff on YouTube was, you know, if it was people vlogging, vlogging sat at the end of their beds and talking about themselves, it was shot on a bad camera. The only reason our camera looked nice is because we spent money hiring some nice equipment, which people don't have to do anymore.
0: And do you remember how you were introduced or how you discovered YouTube initially?
1: The first YouTube video I ever watched. In fact, I should have put it on my list. Uh, an honourable mention goes to a YouTube video called Thank You Mask Man, which is a clip from a Lenny Bruce routine that they uh, someone had animated and turned into a little cartoon featurette that I imagine was for cinemas. And it's really strange. It's really quite a surreal, difficult-to-watch little thing. But I loved it because it was really strange. And um, that's, that's the first video that I found on YouTube.com. Um... And Since then, I must have watched oh, more, more than a hundred YouTube videos.
0: So, as we move into the top 10, was it an easy process getting it down to 10?
1: Um, no, it wasn't at all. I mean, uh, even just now, trying to uh, get my list down from 12 to 10 was really difficult. What I've tried to do is get a, a variety of different types of YouTube video, and you know, a sort of um, different videos that I might be in a different mood for watching depending on different times of the day. So, uh,
0: so we give a quick mention to the two that you chopped off to make it 12 to 10 yeah there's one
1: I've had to get rid of um, which nearly made the top 10 and it's called Morph Tollbridge so uh, I assume you're familiar with Morph yes as in the, uh, the little sort of dark red what, what
0: colour would you call Morph? I,
1: I, reddish brown under,
0: um, burnt umber brown
1: uh... burgundy he's a little burgundy coloured little man that doesn't sound right he's um the little plasticine man off of um, Tony Hart's art programmes and he's just brilliant and it just fills me with joy watching the... It's deceptively simple. Um, and uh, what I think Morph works particularly well on YouTube, even though, obviously, it predates YouTube by some decades. But because it's short-form, um, not-too-much-detail little videos, it works perfectly for YouTube. And my favourite episode, if that is the right word, of Morph, is the one where his friend Chaz, who builds a bridge, decides to charge 20p to cross it, and then Morph decides, no, hang on, I shouldn't have to pay your toll. It's just a bridge going over the table. I can walk around it. And when he does so, he falls into the table as if it's water. So it's a very, very simple idea, and anyone from animation school could have made it. But because the people who make Morph are so funny, it's brilliant. And it's worth watching over and over again. It's a really fantastic pratfall. I'll tell you what makes it so funny is um, if a lesser animator were doing it, He'd have more sort of whoa, 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 and then topple, and then fall in with a splash. But what makes it so brilliant and funny is how he just so quick you can barely see he just goes whap, disappears into the floor. But realistically, and that that they've able that they've been able to put so much expression into a little plasticine man just from you know the way his elbows flinch when he falls into the fake water. It's it's just a joy to watch.
0: And I think testament to how funny those characters are, Um, they don't even need words.
1: No, and an interesting thing I found out is that the the nonsense that they talk, that's added afterwards. Most animation, the vast majority, you record the sound first and then you animate around that. But with Morph, the animator is completely free to, uh, to, to set the scene as he so wishes, and then they will add the voices afterwards. Wow. But I guess that's not difficult when the voice is, you know, there's no real lip sync to do. It's just... But they still need
0: to tell a story.
1: Yeah. And, well, in the very early days of Morph, there wasn't a story. It was just Tony Hart would be busy trying to make something out of newspaper and PVA glue. And then his little blob of plasticine would sort of come to life and disrupt him. And it was really funny. And then gradually it spun off into Morph getting his own sequences and then Morph getting his own show. He hasn't yet gone into the realm of feature films. (laughs) Oh, could you imagine Morph the movie the Morph movie they call it I wonder if they could actually spin that out for an hour and a half but without the Tony Hart figure you know just Morph and Chaz on the table without a narrator without any actual English
0: could they spin that out for an hour and a half I'd want to see it
1: well I mean Shaun the Sheep was quite similar there was very little dialogue in Shaun the... actually there was no dialogue at all in Shaun the Sheep and that worked out fantastically same, same animation studio
0: well there have been films that have been set almost entirely in a coffin there's another one that's been set almost entirely in a phone booth oh
1: wow so yeah 127 um. hours that was set you know in a cave yeah. for most of it yeah I think morph has got the nous to handle a, a feature film where he doesn't really you know come out from under the table
0: is that something you'd enjoy making do you
1: think something that I would enjoy making I've only got very limited experience with animation um, with the the videos that I make and it is so time-consuming it's similar to editing well basically it is a form of editing where you are in control of time and it's such a a fun thing to have done when you've got such a level of control over it but oh my god it's so time-consuming so if your question is would i like to single-handedly make a 90-minute feature the morph movie nah no no thanks i've got stuff to do i've got to finish decorating the house
0: yeah are you rather near miss? Yeah, there's a
1: video. Um, it's a sketch from one of my favourite sketch shows called Tim and Eric Awesome Show, Great Job. Um, they are American sketch comedians and they their show is like a fever dream. It's the nightmarish stuff that you would probably end up watching on Channel 4 really, really late at night, usually when you're stoned and you have absolutely no idea what you're watching. Um, and they make a sketch show that's made entirely of stuff that looks a bit like that. One of my favourite of their sketches is um, called... It's Not Jackie Chan and the premise is it's an advert for a board game called Not Jackie Chan where people sit around uh, trying to it's, it's like a sort of charades game and I sort of don't want to describe it in any more detail than that because I wouldn't want to take away from anyone who hasn't seen it yet basically search for Not Jackie Chan watch the video about halfway through pause it and guess what happens next then press play and see if you were right and you won't be in fact that reminds me there was another thing that I've only just realised should have made the top ten so I'm going to throw it in now as an honourable mention have you seen Too Many Cooks no Ah, you're in for a treat Too Many Cooks is made by the same people that do Tim and Eric Awesome Show great job it's uh, Adult Swim from the US Um, it's the title sequence to a jaunty 80s American sitcom with all the names of the actors and you know, you know the way it normally works. There's a, a jaunty song and the actor's name appears on the screen. They turn to the camera and smile. It's that, except it goes on for 11 and a half minutes. And it takes you on this journey. When you think it's about to end, it's not. And it gets worse. And again, I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to tell you how they hold your attention for all 11 and a half of those minutes. But it's brilliant. And one thing that I really wish I'd been able to do is see this when it was actually broadcast on TV because one criticism I have about YouTube is you can always see from the little bar at the bottom how long is left of the video and that's very helpful but sometimes in comedy that actually holds the video back and sometimes if the joke is you think it's about to end but it doesn't or you think it's going to go on much longer and then ends abruptly you can't actually do that with YouTube so it means that you're missing out on the joy of watching a sketch like Too Many Cooks having no idea that it's going to go on for quite that long so that's why what often happens um, when a tube starts, when I'm you know, with my friends, we will load up the video, put it to full screen and wait until the bar beneath has disappeared before showing people. Because sometimes that can ruin a joke, knowing exactly how long is left on a video. And Too Many Cooks is a great example of this. Right. But it's not made my top 10, so <laughs> never mind. So onto the subject of your top 10, is it ranked? Um, not especially, I've got a number one, but um, the others are gonna come in no particular order. mind you, the order that I've got written down they were the order in which these occurred to me so you know, if it comes early in the list that probably means that it has a dear place in my heart which perhaps means we should go backwards let's
0: go backwards alright, we'll go backwards
1: in which case I'll talk about the one that comes in at number uh, 10 Uh, this isn't so much a video as a channel I know I'm breaking my rule already but um, it's a channel called Food Wishes which is um, uh, an American chef who makes recipe videos and the two things that make this channel such a joy to watch Uh, number one, you never see his face, just his hands which makes it really relaxing and also if you're actually looking for good recipe videos it's useful but the reason I watch it is just because I find it quite soporific and soothing and this brings me on to the second thing that I love about Food Wishes this guy's voice he sounds surprised by every single word that he says and that would normally be really annoying but something about this guy Chef John from Food Wishes his voice is just a joy to listen to because he he is delighted and surprised by every word that comes out of his own mouth. It'll be, hello, this is Chef John from com with parsnips from the oven. That's right, we're going to make parsnips. And that's right, they don't come with... and so on.
0: And that's a very good impression. It's, it's something that I could quite easily put on if I was feeling anxious.
1: Oh, it's such a great... I watch it at night. You know, It's the last thing I watch before going to sleep and even though... The majority of the recipes I've got no intention of making. It's like the Taskmaster book, you know, you don't buy the book to do the tasks and you don't watch Food Wishes necessarily to make the recipes. Although I have done some of them and they're very nice. He puts cayenne in everything, which is, I find quite amusing. By the way, the reason I tripped up on that word is because I'm never sure how to pronounce it. He says cayenne and I think in the UK we're meant to say cayenne and as a result, they both sound wrong. And that's why I said cayenne just now. But yeah, he puts it in all his recipes.
0: It didn't strike me as wrong. You could have got away with that one. Oh, I
1: could have got away with it and I've drawn attention to it.
0: Yeah. And, and on the subject of the Taskmaster, I don't know if I agree with you there with just 17, <laughs> 17 tasks left to complete myself.
1: What you mean in the Taskmaster book, you've done all but 17 of the tasks in the book? Yes. My God. Does that mean that. I mean, because I assume that surely the book is full of undoable tasks, you know, such as. Uh, Something that involves going to both Bermuda and Australia. Is there nothing like that in there? There's no joke
0: tasks? Uh, there was one... Um, where well, you had to read the book in as many countries as possible. <laughs> um, and I vis- visited every embassy in the world. Or visited an embassy of every country in the world. Wow.
1: You must rank in the... You know, there can't be that many other people across the planet that are taking this Taskmaster book quite as seriously as you are. If I've got eight things to do, if I've got, like, far too much I need to get done in a day... It'll happen somehow. I'll get them all done, on time, under budget, to the best of my ability. But if I've got all day to do one thing, it's never going to happen.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think that's how I've just blitzed through all the the tasks in the book. Um, Anyway, moving. Moving on. on. Hello.
1: Where were we? Food Wishes is the only one on the list that, looking at it, isn't actually a comedy video. It's the only one that isn't trying to make you laugh. And I've realised that I've put together uh, a list of what's basically funny videos. And this one, I do chuckle at it. It does make me laugh sometimes, um, but it's not supposed to be a comedy. In fact, there's a a rule that if something is supposed to be comedy, if its job is to make you laugh, it has a much more difficult job of doing it. You know, you're much more likely to get a laugh in a wedding speech or prime minister's questions than you are doing a stand-up routine. And I think that's why food wishes often makes me chuckle. Because, you know, he'll throw in a really, really bad pun about self-raising flour, and it'll I'll I'll chortle at it, I like it. Whereas if someone tried to do the same routine, doing a tight five at the comedy store, it wouldn't work.
0: It, to me, Food Wishes feels like the food equivalent of the guy whose name I can't remember, who sort of would paint things. Oh, Bob Ross. Bob Ross, thank you. Yeah,
1: he's a, it's a, the same sort of thing as a soporific, hypnotically relaxing sort of a thing. And... They're very similar, actually, because you get a nice product at the end of it. So Bob Ross, you get a nice, you know, a landscape, a nice watercolour. Food wishes, you, you get a lasagna. Or roasted
0: parsnips. <laughs> Next on the list.
1: Next on the list is Captain Disillusion. So this is, um, and uh, I am quite sure of what I'm about to say, this is the best channel on YouTube. This guy's fantastic. So his real name is long and difficult to pronounce, and I can't remember it. Uh, He goes under the alias of Captain Disillusion with silver makeup on his face. Um, The purpose of his YouTube channel is to use his knowledge of visual effects to debunk fake videos and explain how special effects work. So it's a simple enough premise, but he forgot to make it shit. It so happens to be far better produced and far more slick and engaging and laugh out loud funny than it has any right to be. And he's one of the few video channels where, you know, you can watch any one of his videos over and over again and you'll notice little details that you didn't notice before. And I must have watched his videos, each one of them, at least four times and I still spot things. And it's stuff that I find genuinely very interesting, like how visual effects are done. And I've learned a lot through it and I've I've chuckled a lot as well.
0: And I suppose it's from a similar sort of staple as your work in that it's trying to get something across and doing it with humour.
1: Yeah, that's. I think that's the only thing that my channel and his have in common is that um, we're saying something sensible and serious, but in a very silly way. But he does it a million times better than I do.
0: And I suppose we should probably mention in a bit more depth actually what some of your series are about. So you've got Unfinished London, um, which is something that presumably you'll have to do forever. Well, yeah,
1: London will never be finished uh, no, well, I'll, I'll explain what it is We made our first episode of it Way back in 2009 um, You know, It was a different time back then YouTube was in black and white Well actually no no It wasn't But of course YouTube Genuinely did look different The The screen was a different shape To how it is now But no anyway We made um, a little documentary About the unbuilt northern line Beyond Edgeware And uh, we thought that was a nice interesting subject for a documentary but we thought in order to make people watch and share we would make it as funny as possible. So whilst it was a true story about unfinished tube lines, it was also made like a comedy show with, you know, as many jokes as possible crammed in and lots of surreal sketches. And people really liked it and they uh, watched and shared it and they asked me to make more. So we, we made some more. And then the second episode of Unfinished London was about unfinished motorways. And then we kept the series going. Uh, we're now up to. We're about to work on episode nine. We've now abandoned the um, the rule where it has to be about unbuilt infrastructure. It's now just become a series about infrastructure in London in general. But the the original goal hasn't gone away. It's still all true facts, but presented in the silliest way possible.
0: And where did your love of infrastructure come from?
1: Well, it's a funny one because I didn't really have. A love of infrastructure as such we was, there was just one specific story I wanted to talk about which was the tube lines beyond edgeware because that was where I grew up and I knew about that story because I went past it on the school bus all the time I thought that was a nice local interesting thing to talk about but because it was supposed to be like an audition piece for tv it was meant to be a showreel please give me a job working in proper television we made it look like it was one episode in a series and we called it unfinished london and that made it easy to decide what to write episode two about, which was motorways, which I was, you know, becoming a bit more geeky about. And now that sort of subject matter, geography and town planning and whatnot, it's become a a, a geeky hobby of mine. But it all started because of one particular local piece of infrastructure that I knew about, and I've now become someone who makes videos mostly about that sort of thing.
0: And do you have any qualifications along those lines? But what was
1: your... None point? whatsoever. My, uh, my degree is in French and linguistics. So I didn't do history or geography or anything like that. Whereas um, the guy that I make my most recent series with, uh, Map Men, the, the other guy in that, Mark Cooper Jones, is a genuine geography teacher. I think he was actually working as a geography teacher until quite recently. So he's got the proper credentials. In fact, it's normally him that tells me off if my research isn't proper. Because he knows much more about maps and geography than I do.
0: And something I've learnt from one of your um, films was that maps, love lots of things from your films, but um, the thing that stood out and fascinates me is how map makers put false things in their maps to see if people are plagiarising them. Oh, yeah, that's
1: great fun. Uh, trap streets, we had a whole episode about trap streets, and we set ourselves the challenge of trying to find uh, real life examples in London of streets that appear on maps but don't exist. As you might expect, finding Trap Streets, which by their very nature are supposed to be impossible to find, uh, was quite a lot of hard work. But luckily there's all sorts of sources all over the internet for the best Trap Streets and we just sort of stole from all of them.
0: It's mind-blowing. Imagine a band putting a bum note in to stop someone plagiarising a song or an artist like <laughs> chucking in a, a wrong piece of colour just to...
1: Well, now, that would be strange. Imagine you go along to a gig and someone is singing, uh, someone's doing a cover of a Beatles song. You know, they're singing Hey Jude. And Paul McCartney comes along, he's listening along going, hang on, I think this is my song. And then there's one tiny bit towards the end where he goes, aha, that's mine, I knew it, stop the gig. (laughs) It doesn't really work like that. It doesn't, doesn't, does
0: it? Bad example. Um, And also, um, you've branched into politics as well.
1: Oh, yeah, we did a series a while ago called Politics Unboringed which was uh, the idea of which was to explain how politics works to an audience of primarily young people who might be first-time voters. Um, And the initial idea was to sort of make it a video that you could show in schools that was, hey, kids, get involved, democracy good, and trying to be as neutral as possible. However, in the last few years, being both neutral and positive about our democracy is very difficult to do. And I've had a lot of people saying, hey, with all of the stuff going on now in the news, you know, with... Brexit and the proroguing of Parliament and so on and so on can you bring back politics unboring and my answer to that is usually well I don't know if I have the stomach for it because politics is no longer boring I miss when it was boring
0: And I I think Tin and Dooyeb one of your
1: employers (laughs) Tin and Dooyeb who runs comedy club for kids I do a lot of work for them and he runs a he's got a podcast called um, explain how this politics thing works then oh no he does partly political broadcast his podcast and then he's got a bunch of live shows called something along the lines of how does this politics thing work then?
0: But I think he finds it ridiculously difficult keeping up with, uh, well, a week's worth of stuff to put in his podcast. And sometimes I think he's recording it right up to the wire and still not sure whether something's going to have changed by the time it's released it the next day or whatever.
1: Yeah, it's incredibly difficult to be up to date. And that, that's with the podcast. I mean, the sort of videos that I do where it can take months to go from the writing up until, you know, editing and finishing everything. By the time I put a video out about politics, it will go ridiculously out of date. So that's one of the other big reasons why I don't think I'll be able to bring back Politics Unboringed anytime soon, because everything goes viciously out of date.
0: Unless you use that as virtue and do Politics Unboringed 1500s.
1: (laughs) If I could do episodes about subjects where things don't really change, then perhaps I could get away with it. You're right, I should start tomorrow.
0: (laughs) Next on
1: the list. Next on the list is um, a Czech video called Jožin zbažin, and um, this has to be watched to be believed. This is um, a little musical number from a TV show in the 70s, and um, I've not watched this in a while, and I didn't watch it yesterday to revise, but um, if I remember rightly, it's a couple of people singing an unusual folk song about an enormous monster called Jožin from The Bog. And um, there are English subtitles to the song in Czech, which rhymes in Czech, but the English, um, the, the translation is so much funnier than it's supposed to be. But what makes this video especially funny is the dancing. There are two people involved in this video. One of them stands completely still with a really strange posture. And then next to him is a man with a beard who's doing no singing, but enough dancing for both of them. It's one of the. I, I think I might have been high when I first watched when I first watched this, but um, it, it's it's so funny. And my favorite thing about it is it isn't trying to be funny. At least I don't think it is. It's funnier than it's intended to be, and that's my favorite thing. I think maybe if you're if you're a comedian, you this might sound a little bit pretentious, but you know, a, a lot of people I know that work in comedy feel the same way. If you use laughter as a currency and you live and breathe comedy, and your job is to try to make people laugh. You yourself will end up with a very warped sense of humour, and the things that make you laugh might be things that are odder. And in my case, I, um, I really enjoy laughing at things that weren't supposed to be funny. And this one, Jožin Zbajin, is a great example.
0: And it's impossible to know whether they did intend it to be funny, or whether it was played straight to begin with.
1: I might be being quite offensive, and it could well be... That this Czech TV show from the 70s, they knew exactly what they were doing, and it's meant to be hilarious. And here I am watching it, you know, from a British point of view, going, Oh, these foreigners, aren't they silly? Yeah, I'm worried it might be that. We'll never know.
0: We'll never know. Unless you track them down.
1: It's similar to there's a much more popular video that's um, popular for similar reasons, is the uh lolo song, which you might have seen. It's a man walking around a studio singing a song, and the lyrics are Ho 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 and that's funnier than it's supposed to be. Or is it?
0: And had you seen both of these before Bim?
1: Bim? Oh, yeah, I have a song called... I assume you're talking about my song called Bim. Uh, maybe they were an influence on me. I, so I have a song in my, my live act that I do, at my kids' show, especially, uh, called Bim, 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 which is... Um, well, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a very short song and about 95% of the lyrics are the word Bim. Nothing really happens, and you don't learn anything. And maybe that was my little version of. And
0: again, Morph uh, and his nonsense words. I think there's a we're, we're getting a little theme. I'm much. a big fan of
1: nonsense words. Yeah. Next on the list. Next on the list is uh, Ah. This is a, a regular YouTuber. Um, so unlike a lot of the other ones on this list, this is someone who makes lots and lots of good videos. Uh, it's a web comedian called Tom Scat and the reason that i pronounce his name Tom Scat rather than Tomska, which is how most people say it is because i'm making sure not to get him confused with other internet person Tom Scott who by the way happens to be a friend of mine from uni who you know both Tom Scat and Tom Scott are big on youtube but they do very different things Tom Scott makes interesting videos about different um, quirky interesting places around the world Tom Scat is a sketch comedian, and his sketches are brilliant. So the thing that makes his funny sketches stand out is how slickly they're edited, and the attention to detail with timing, where it is, you know, if a joke went on for one frame longer, it wouldn't work, and you can see the attention to detail in his sketches, and they make me laugh. They're very funny indeed. And as well as those sketches, he also does a lot of um, uh, animation. He has a series called... Astif movie, I'm never quite sure how to pronounce that. Which is a series of even more sleekly edited, very, 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 very short little cartoons that are in black and white.
0: And this particular one, the premise is. There's oh one. yeah, this
1: one is. Um, uh, there is an orb in his house, a, a big round, very threatening thing that that changes things. And I, again, I don't want to spoil too much because if I describe the video, um, I would ruin it for anyone who hasn't yet seen it. But search Tom Ska the orb. And it's, it's just fucking brilliant, because he's managed to make every single line punchline worthy. It just keeps going. It's like, a it's you know, he's pummeling you with gags. He has saturated it with gags, and you can tell that this must have been through loads and loads of drafts before settling on the funniest possible version of the script. And it's like that across all of his videos, but this one in particular I really, really enjoyed, because... Another common theme with videos from this guy Tomska is there's a lot of sadness, there's a lot of suffering and a fair bit of blood and death, but you know done in a really tasteful and very British way.
0: And to a very high production value.
1: Extremely high production values, yeah. And this video is not, you know, it's not that new. He was making videos back in 2000 and... actually I wouldn't want to guess, but you know... He, he takes the production very seriously as well. It, everything looks great and sounds great and there's music, it's professionally done. But what I, lo- what I like about it is that not only can you tell that it's very slick and very well produced, it still has this element of homemade, it has a homemade feel. He's managed to combine very professional filming equipment with a cast and a set that's clearly just his mates and, you know, his mate's house. And it's that he's got the combination just right.
0: And from orbs to balls, um, one of the videos on your channel um, that sort of stuck out to me was where you and Beck Hill are encouraging people to check themselves.
1: <laughs> from orbs to balls. Yeah, um, Beck and I did a video for um, a uh, cancer charity. Um, we were given the task of making a funny song and funny video to encourage men to check themselves and so I wrote a song called Fiddle With Your Balls and I sent it to Beck Hill for animation and as, as happens very often, Beck Hill turned it from something that was all right into something that was really funny because Beck is very, very good at making these flip chart illustrations for songs and she's done it for a few of mine and that one, Fiddle With Your Balls, that was a fun one.
0: And of course you, Beck and Tin, and who we mentioned previously, um, do a lot of comedy club for kids yeah this um, is my
1: in fact this is one of the very few areas where the two worlds I work in performing on stage and making stuff for YouTube this is the only place where they combine uh, Beck Hill who makes uh, fantastic videos some of which are on my channel also uh, does these same gigs as me these comedy Club for kids
0: and your comedy work has more sort of been leaning towards uh younger audiences recently was that a conscious decision or did it come no that was a happy
1: accident i had a show at the fringe a few years ago um that was in the pleasance uh courtyard in the igloo and uh, i had a lot of parents come along to that show in the evening and they said you know it's such a shame that there's so much swearing in your show because it looks like it could have been a kid's show and this by the way was in uh, the igloo which is for the most of the daytime used for children's shows but then, you know, when the sun sets, they use that venue for grown-up shows. And I had my show in there. So it looked like a kid show, even though it wasn't. And then after I had a lot of people telling me that it felt like it could have been a good kid show, were it not for the swearing, I thought, actually, that's not a bad idea. Maybe I'll give a kid show a go. And I came back to the Fringe the next year with a very, very similar show. Uh, some of the songs had been swapped out. All the swearing had gone. And I called it Jay Foreman's Disgusting Songs for Revolting Children. And it was such fun to do and I had great audiences and then I was given the offer of taking that show on, on tour and that is what I'm now still doing and quite by accident I've walked into a, a career as a children's party entertainer
0: and do you miss firing
1: I still get to do the occasional grown-up gig so um, I, I manage to get it out of my system when I have to um, but the great thing about kids' gigs is that the uh, the reactions in the audience are like nothing you get from grown-up shows because a kid won't pretend to like a show if a kid is laughing, they mean it. It's, you know, it's like getting approval from a dog. There's nothing more, nothing more pure than when a dog likes you.
0: And do you find it harder to write?
1: I do, because um, the obvious challenge, the first thing people would think of is, oh, it can't have any sex or drugs or swearing. you know. But that's not the difficult part. The difficult part is that um, kids don't get the same references that grown-ups do. And it's not necessarily that you have to make a joke more obvious, because kids are not stupid. They just have a lot less experience of the world and um that's why you can't fall back on references to you know tv from the 80s and 90s you've got to make sure that if you're doing anything observational it's about something that a kid might have observed in the only the seven years it's been alive so that's the challenge is coming up with subject matter not necessarily uh, you know how to keep the swearing out of the show because i actually think even if you're doing stuff for grown-ups making sure that there's no swearing in it is it forces you to have a better vocabulary and it forces you to maybe find a more clever joke.
0: And do you find that younger audiences are more consistent in what they will laugh at? Uh,
1: consistent is one thing they're certainly not. You do get, um, the trade-off I suppose is you occasionally get incredibly rowdy gigs where you know, there's been the occasional nightmare show where I've been not so much an entertainer as a babysitter. Right. Um, so I wouldn't say they're predictable but they can be so much fun Because, you know, even if they might be quite a naughty crowd one day, they would be a hilarious crowd another day. And you get heckles from kids like nothing you get from grown-ups. Going forward, I think I'd like to do more children's shows. I'd like to do more adult shows as well. And I think I'd like to, as I've been doing with all of the rest of my career, is mix it up and do a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. I guess one of the best things about doing kids shows is that I'm uh, getting them while they're young and I'm finding an audience that hopefully will stay with me and won't die soon.
0: And also there will be a more internet-savvy audience and, of course, probably stumble across your YouTube channel a lot more effortlessly than maybe an older audience would.
1: That's true. Something that scares me, I have people saying, oh, I've been watching your videos for years, you know, since I was a young child. And I refuse to believe that YouTube has been around long enough that, you know, you can watch it when you're a young child and be a grown-up now. Um, There were some people saying, hey, this video that you uploaded here, I was only four years old when this came out. Oh, don't tell me that, because it was... It was living memory, it was just five minutes ago. Yeah. I've had some people say, oh, the- one of the weirdest comments I ever got on a YouTube video was, uh, oh, this looks like it came from 2014. I was like, what are you talking about? 2014 was five minutes ago? Like, what in your tiny whippersnapper mind has changed since 2014? And then it occurred to me, oh no, actually, on YouTube, that is a really long time ago, because things genuinely have changed.
0: Did it start off 4x3?
1: I think it did. I mean the first video that I uploaded, I actually remember we had to make a choice, do we want to upload in HD? And I thought no, that's ridiculous because, you know, it's going to just take up far too much memory. It's going to take a, it's going to take hours and hours to upload. No one watches YouTube in HD. And I'm glad that I got argued out of doing that because it turns out um Everything's HD now, and what were we thinking? Of course it should be as high quality as possible. Even even YouTube in 2009, we should have known. If the option is to upload in high quality, do it.
0: And it feels like the next thing on your list uh, was recorded quite high quality as well.
1: The next thing on my list? Uh, the next thing on my list I've got uh, the Old Spice commercials with Terry Crews. So if you haven't seen these, these are adverts for Old Spice, um, as in the American um, body spray deodorant, whatever it is um, it's been made by Tim and Eric I, at least I think it's been made by Tim and Eric because it's very much in their style um, they are the funniest adverts I've ever seen they it's as if they've forgotten that they're supposed to be adverts they are f- way too funny way way too surreal and Terry Crews um, he's really really funny in them and he's uh, I've only recently started watching uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine which he's in, and he's very funny. And but these adverts, they're the they're the best thing he's ever done. I'm
0: not. I've not seen any Brooklyn Nine Nine, but I think off the back of seeing the adverts, it's certainly something I'm going to look into. He's a very funny man.
1: Well, Brooklyn Nine Nine is absolutely nothing like the humour of these adverts. It, you know, it's not Tim and Eric. It is a, a very traditional, um, safe American sitcom. You know, with lots of hugging and learning and it's a you know it's very comforting TV it's like Friends you know you just watch it because it's a bunch of people that really like each other and have each other's backs um, whereas the kind of humour in the Old Spice adverts is aggressive and scary and funny and surreal and violent and I love it
0: so is it Tim that I should be looking all into obviously. yes if you
1: enjoy the adverts that Terry Crews is in then if you want to see more stuff like that you should be seeking out Tim and Eric awesome show great job by all means watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine because you know he's in it but he's not doing any He's not doing any of the same stuff
0: and I think the adverts are particularly clever in that they bleed out of their slots as it were so you'll, you'll see what you think is a different advert and it Turns out that, hey, it's the Old
1: Spice one again. Yeah, it's it's very Python-esque, where, um, you know, nothing is safe. You can make a joke anywhere, including where the advert ends. And they've they've done this twice in the Old Spice ones. There was one where it looks like an advert for a washing machine stuff, and it invades, and then Terry Crews just, like, yells at the camera, Old Spice is so powerful, it's even advertising itself in other people's commercials! Um, And then there's... I've made him sound like he's even more like... Right, I refuse to try and do an impression of Terry Crews, But he, when he shouts, he sounds both really aggressive and threatening and really happy at the same time. And I think it only works because he's able to deliver it like that and it's brilliant. I only realised that just a few short seconds ago when I tried to shout myself and it sounded horrible. When he does it, it's funny. Anyway, so they did it on that occasion. They also did um, an advert which refuses to end and uh, Terry Cruz is like holding a can and yelling at the camera saying it's too powerful to let this commercial end and then it just carries on for like another minute it's, it's brilliant
0: and I wonder whether it has reinvigorated their sales because Old spies, you know you would think of as something your dad would well something some some of my dad's era but certainly a lot of people would be that's grandkids. Well,
1: I've not seen the sales report. I don't know how well they've been doing. I don't know if the advert's been uh, improving things. I mean, it's not really available over here, so it's hard to tell. There was, um, uh, we had an advert for Old Spice that was doing the rounds on YouTube about seven years ago now, uh, where it wasn't Terry Crews, it was somebody else, like a big muscular guy. Hello, ladies. Look at your man. Now look at me. Now back to your man. Now back to me. That one. That, that was doing the rounds. And that was, you know, really, really funny. But not quite as funny as the Terry Crews ones, and I, I think I remember reading that off the back of that advert doing so well on YouTube, they decided to actually put it on TV over here and you know sell Old Spice to a few more people. But you know I'd, I'm I'd be making shit up if I went on any longer about this because I don't really know. I just know that the advert's funny and that I have no and that I have no intention of using their products.
0: When Method I was in a play, uh, Bouncers, that's set. I think it's in the early '80s. And bought a bottle of Old Spice to wear while (laughs) in
1: it. Where did you get your bottle of Old Spice? I thought it wasn't available over here.
0: Ah, see, there's a question. I think...
1: You travelled back in time to 1983.
0: Maybe I got it off the internet, or maybe it was in somewhere random, like Superdrug, or Mm -hmm. I honestly can't remember.
1: I think they they do sell it, but it's like... um, Maybe you can only get it in those uh, American candy stores where you get imported (laughs) stuff.
0: Although they're, the one near really me shut down, sadly.
1: Oh, what, the uh, candy store?
0: Yeah. Oh, no. Clearly, there weren't enough people buying overpriced Pop Tarts. <laughs> and another thing
1: After Brexit, all shops are going to be like that. Oh. Yeah.
0: All the things we've got to look forward to. Although, Lucky Charms, which I thought were banned here and had trouble finding them and could only get them really expensively from one of those sort of shops, um, now popped up in Sainsbury's. How does that work?
1: What's the world coming to, eh? Next, you'll be telling me there's got... Well, fruit Roots. Chicken. At the Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Let's move on before we kill ourselves. Number five. <laughs> well,
0: fifth on the list, because, as, as you said, they're not ranked.
1: This is a fantastic segue. Before we kill ourselves, number five. Uh, Markets of Britain. A film by Lee Tit. So, this is Peter Serfinowitz and Robert Popper, and uh, they are responsible for Look Around You. Uh, Look Around You is amazing um but a lot of people have seen it because it was on tv they also did some stuff on youtube that's not been on tv and this is one of them this is one of their best ones it's meant to look like an old documentary from the 70s um where there's no sound as such it's just a crackly old music track and someone narrating it it's just about it's, it's, it is what it says it's about the markets of britain and the the comings and goings of the market in britain but every word of it's bullshit and it's so funny
0: it's like a hilarious goggle box, isn't it? It's like they've got this old clip and said stuff over the top of it, except it's more a narration than just people commenting. Yeah, it
1: reminds me of the sort of things that, you know, when I was a student, we'd you know watch funny things on TV and turn the sound down and yes. try and add funny voices. And, you know, it looks like one of those. It's the same... They're playing that game with this old clip. But they... It's probably even though it might, they might have started by just coming up with the, these ideas on off the hoof, it's too funny to have all been improvised in one go. I reckon it's been gone through lots of drafts and, you know, it's been tightly scripted. Just because it's so funny. I might yeah. be wrong. I don't know anything about the process of how they made this, but I love what came out of it in the end. It's fabulous, isn't it? Peter Serafinovic has done some amazing stuff on YouTube. He's known now for doing the uh, sassy Trump voiceover, which is a great joke, but, you know, he's done it again and again for ages. And, you know it's it's worn off a bit but he also does he's also done some really surreal stuff one of my favourites um, that didn't quite make the list um, he's called a KFC commercial and of course it could not possibly be a KFC commercial it's a the same clip of a, a family serving roast chicken at a dinner table but he narrates it over and over and over again getting slightly more aggressive It's I, I, I can't really explain it without you watching it but watch, uh, search for Peter Serafinowicz's KFC commercial. I love it because it's terrifying and so funny. It defies explanation.
0: The markets of Britain feels like unfinished London in a way. It's, it's like they're coming from a similar sort of place tonally.
1: Um, I guess the, the thing that they have in common is they're both um, trying to be very, very surreal humour. And I think you, I, I was trying when I was making Unfinished London to, um, to make the jokes a bit scary, you know, a, a bit um, over-the-top and really weird, the sort of thing that you certainly wouldn't expect in a documentary about transport infrastructure. And, you know, if I can make them anything like the jokes that Peter Serafin, which does, I'll, I'll be very happy.
0: And do you have a list of things that you want to tackle with Unfinished London? Are there other things that you think, oh, that needs to have a wider audience? More people need to know about that particular...
1: Well, the fun is taking... Um, a subject that's actually on the face of it really quite boring and technical and I like the challenge of turning that into uh, a fun video with surreal jokes and humour so for example uh, we are working on the next two episodes because we film them in batches and we're doing two at a time and the next two, one of them is called uh, or the clickbaity title is Why Are There So Few River Crossings in East London and it's going to be all about the history of the River Thames and all the bridges and tunnels and why the map of London looks like it does. That one, I think, is going to be quite easy to make interesting because it's genuinely very fascinating. But the other one is going to be a lot more challenging. The working title is Why Does London Have 32 Boroughs? And this one is going to be a history of why the Greater London Boroughs have the borders where they are and how they got their names and exactly why there's 32 of them. Now, that even even a geek like me can admit that that's fucking boring. But therein lies the challenge. I'm going to make that a video that people are just as likely to want to watch and share and laugh at as, as all the other stuff.
0: I think it sounds very interesting. I'm sorry. That's, well, then that's you're not goofy. my target audience. <laughs> my,
1: something that's very important to me is that my target audience is always people that haven't seen it before. What I find quite irritating on YouTube is people sort of, um, you know, once they find an audience, they really double down on them. And they fill their channel with private jokes. And they make it look like an exclusive club that you've got to have been a member of for years to get all the jokes. And I hate that. I think it's much more um, inclusive and actually much more fun if you're always focused on trying to grow your audience. And you're always focused on making sure that people can come to it fresh and there'll be something there for them. So that's why I, I try, surprisingly hard, not to have recurring or private jokes.
0: But I think it must be something you've been quite successful in doing, building an audience, because here's a fun fact for you. Only the next video that we're going to talk about has had more hits than your top-rated.
1: No way! I think that says more about my taste in strange videos that nobody else likes.
0: (laughs) So let's get to that highest-rated in terms of uh, hits. Uh, The next one on your list.
1: This is uh, one of my favourite animators of all time. This is a guy called Syriac. And I've chosen his video, Cows and Cows and Cows. Um, What it is, basically, is it's um, a slow pan across a field with some identical black cows standing around not doing anything. Then they start dancing in sync with, uh, you know, it's obviously been done in After Effects. Then the dancing gets a little bit weird, and then the dancing gets a bit violent, and then the cows start multiplying, and then they start... um, turning into spider cows and then the, the heads start rotating like helicopters and it, it's amazing. And my favorite thing about it is you don't learn anything. Nothing happens. <laughs> it's just a bunch of cows just sort of stretching and bending in a um, uh, an experimental way. Let's see what After Effects can do. And most of Siriac's videos are like this. They're very similar. Like they'll have a soundtrack that he made himself. and you know the music is quite nightmarish and what you what you see before you on the screen is quite nightmarish as well but it's also quite childlike and simple it's this wonderful combination of the two that's what i like about syriax videos and this one especially has a, a i've got a soft spot for it because it's the first one i saw
0: and this is sort of the other end of the spectrum um from food wishes isn't it so <laughs> <food> <laughs> yeah. wishes is something that's this and know.
1: food wishes could not be further apart yeah
0: uh, and while that's something that you watch and relax um Although, you wouldn't want
1: to watch this before going to bed, no. Right. I'd say, if anything, you should watch Cows and Cows and Cows, the first thing when you wake up to get you geared up for the day.
0: But at the same time, it's very mesmeric.
1: It's hypnotic. That's that's one thing it has in common, I guess. But um, whereas the, the hypnotic quality of food wishes is something that can send you to sleep, this thing, it has a hypnotic quality that leaves you going...
0: what, What? What, what the hell? Like that. It could be an Aphex Twin music video almost, couldn't
1: it? Well, the soundtrack sounds like Aphex Twin. You know, it's, um, I, I love the music as well. Like, you know, just as a song to listen to in its own merit, is it's a funny song. And that's um, something that's quite hard to come across, is um, music without lyrics that is funny. Where it is actually the music itself that makes you laugh. That's Someone who's uh, very good at doing this, you know, I, I can't not mention him. You may have heard of him, Beardy Man, who happens to be my brother. And uh, by an amazing coincidence, I'm a huge fan of his. And he does that very well, where the music that he makes is hilarious, even without any lyrics.
0: And do you have a sort of gentle rivalry or are you very collaborative Oh, it's not gentle, it's aggressive. No, um,
1: we we have worked together a few times, um, but it's difficult for us to pin each other down because uh, he's extremely busy, especially now that he's got three kids. Um, But we have collaborated on stage a few times. In fact, he's. Um, I put him in uh, one of my recent videos. He was playing the part of a cab driver, and I thought, well, surely there's going to be, because he's enormous. You know, he's very, very popular on the internet, and he does festivals all over the world. And I thought loads of people were going to comment saying, "Oh, wow, how would you get Beardy Man for this video?" But all of the comments were talking about the other much smaller, much geekier YouTube channels. Because it turns out the people who watch my stuff are geeks, and the people who watch Beardy Man are cool. So we. Um, I don't think there's a lot of crossover between my fans and his.
0: And funny that he was playing a driver, as that's something you recently did yourself, isn't it?
1: Well, yeah, funny you should say that. I I, I think this is what you're talking about. I used to work as a tour guide. Um, How do you know this? I used to work for a company called Small Car Big City. We used to drive tourists uh, around London in classic Mini Coopers and uh, I, I missed that job I really did love that job in fact occasionally they'd let me use one of their cars for my videos
0: Is it something you could do as a sideline just for fun?
1: I used to do it as a sideline for fun I used to for ages I was juggling my three careers uh, musical comedy YouTube stuff and London tour guide but um, I'm very lucky to say that I now have only got time for two out of those three jobs and it's the London tour guide that has fallen away and which I guess means I'm now a. Uh, I'm going to say a a, a professional comedian
0: and how does that feel?
1: expensive (laughs) no no, that doesn't make sense ask me again and how does that feel? it feels strange it feels embarrassing because you know if um, I have to fill in a form and I have to write down occupation it still feels a bit naughty and like it's not serious to write down the word comedian in the occupation box
0: it's
1: especially expensive for insurance
0: I bet can you be creative?
1: Um, I think, for insurance purposes, I am a video maker, yes. which you know has a much broader meaning and it's technically true. But if I tell them I'm a comedian, that means you know, driving late at night and uh, being around rowdy audiences and being the sort of person that tends to have car crashes in their experience. Don't tell the police.
0: Although video maker could be more expensive than uh, other descriptors as well, just because they're thinking that you're going to be having kit in the car that might get destroyed. I'd recommend looking uh, editorial consultant.
1: Editorial consultant? Now that does oh. sound like a proper job. Because then I can go to family gatherings and they say, what do you do? I'm an editorial consultant. I am a serious person.
0: But I think, you know, it's also a descriptive that isn't a complete lie.
1: True. Well, one of the things I love about the work that I do is that um, it's lots and lots of different, very varied jobs that require very different skills. So to make a video, you need to be able to uh, research and then write and then film and edit and those four skills have got nothing to do with each other but you need to be able to do all four of them which is your ranking of best or worst my ranking of best or worst for those four Ed- editing is number one definitely because I have ultimate control and I am able to literally control time there is nothing I've said this already I'm able to literally control time. There is nothing more fun than being able to sort of manipulate and tell a story that way. Um, and then at a distant fourth place is filming, is actually going out to film. And then the other two, uh, writing, researching, um, research can be boring, you know, research is uh, can just take a very, very long time and you might end up spending a whole day reading an old paper or something you found and discover that none of it's useful. Um, the thing we find very difficult when we're doing research for our videos, we are tempted whenever we find a little chunk of information like, oh, that's exactly what we're looking for. Let's put that in and turn that into a joke and you know, write some words about it. But then the danger is that you'll do that too soon and you will then find a piece of contradictory um, research that means you have to then have the very heartbreaking job of getting rid of your joke that you're proud of. And um, what we are learning very slowly is that you really shouldn't start writing until you've done all the research that you will ever need. You know, there's, there's no excuse for waiting until you've written the joke before finally putting the actual fact in, because that will usually fuck up the joke. So what we end up doing at the research stage is not writing the script, but writing an instruction manual for what will become the script.
0: So you get the facts sort of all in place first, is that my what, understanding?
1: Yeah, what we do, um, so let's say for example we're making a video about uh, why is Greater London the shape it is, that was one of the last ones we did, and um, all of the research that we find is just a bunch of unrelated and often contradictory facts. Our challenge, once we've compiled everything, is to turn all of those facts into a, and I'm going to use the n-word, into a narrative. So we have to assemble those facts into what feels like a story with a beginning, a middle and an end and with all of these different story things joined not with and but with but and therefore. This happens, but then this happens, therefore this happens and we also need to introduce characters, ideally goodies and baddies. And in order to get this story out of our research we will have to really exaggerate certain facts or decide to forget to mention certain other facts that we find. And, you know, that sounds naughty, but that's exactly what history is. That's exactly what a historian does. They take all of their sources and decide to to tell a story from it. And if you're trying to make an educational video, you have to make it entertaining like that. And as long as we make sure that there's no actual lies in there, as long as we're not, you know, missing out anything extremely important or just telling something that isn't true, we can very much get away with narrativifying all of our facts
0: and how do you make a goody or a baddie out of an inanimate object
1: Um, inanimate objects are difficult to turn into goodies and baddies what we do is we look for real people in the stories so for example we were telling the stories about um, the comings and goings of trams in London. And we decided to make a baddie out of uh, Minister for Transport, Ernest Marples. And he was actually very easy to turn into a baddie because he's an old posh guy. Nobody likes them. And he um, also had several affairs with prostitutes and invented double yellow lines and traffic wardens. So, you know, he was he was an easy person to make an enemy out of.
0: And has anyone you've ever made into a baddie uh, been sort of around or taken umbrage? Or-
1: yes, they have. I don't know if you know this, but we had a... In one of our episodes of Politics Unboringed, we had a whole segment about this guy called Peter Botting, who is a uh, speechwriter and um, political speech interview trainer. So we were basically, it was a video about why don't politicians answer questions? And um, we said it's because they are trained to do things like avoid the question, answer a different question, and, you know, say things like, well, look, interviewer's name, let me be clear, and so on and so on. And we referenced this website called peterbotting.co.uk and we introduced it with an actor saying, Hi, I'm Peter Botting and I actually exist. Do you want to survive the next election? Then here are my five top tips to make sure that you're bulletproof in interviews. Anyway, uh, the real Peter Botting found this episode and thankfully he loved it. He saw the funny side and so he decided he wanted to meet us. And this was only like about a month ago. He and I met up in a pub in East London and I brought along the actor that played him and the director and um, he brought us a round of drinks he was very nice about it
0: Wow that could have gone down such a different tangent that's really lucky that he saw the funny side Yeah we
1: were so worried because he knows some very powerful people we asked him you know who are the people that he's worked with and he expertly dodged the question as you would expect him to do um, but I gathered from the the very subtle hints that he was dropping that I think he's trained up the entire cabinet Gosh I know I could have put a stop to him or <laughs> well, he could have put
0: it up to you. What's the top three looking like?
1: The next one on the list is a video that I absolutely love because again, very little happens. It's called Bert and Ernie Go Brutal. It's a clip from Sesame Street where um Bert is showing Ernie how to play the drums. And um, Bert looks at the camera and says, Okay, here we go. A one and a two and a chick-a-boom a chick. And then In the real clip, in the original clip that you don't see, he then starts gently playing the drums to a slow rhythm and they, you know, they sing along and it's a lovely clip. In the clip that I've chosen, someone has taken just the first beat of the drum and sampled it and played it again very, 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 very very quickly and it's fucking brilliant. And they've played over the top of it this absolutely horrendous soundtrack. And again, one of my favourite things about this is um, I cannot explain why it's funny. If I try and explain why it's funny, it won't be funny anymore. I think the reason I like it so much is because there's two things going on at once. Thing number one is Bert and Ernie having a lovely time and smiling and playing the drums and playing a song. And thing number two is something that they don't know about because it's been edited afterwards. It's them going way, 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 way too fast. And they look sort of trapped. It's, it's horrific but also joyous. In fact, there's a third story going on at the same time as both of those things, which is they do know that it's being edited really fast and they're having a lovely time. I think that's what makes it so funny is that my brain is wrestling with exactly what I'm watching. Is it the original clip? Is it them having a bad time? Are they in on the joke? That's what makes it so funny. And it's so simple. It's such a brilliantly simple idea to take the tiniest bit I think there's only maybe three frames maybe even just two frames over and over and over again and it makes me so happy every time this ends up in a tube and I'm showing it to people we only get about 30 seconds in and then whoever else is watching it will just sort of you know, politely nod and say okay yeah, I get it that is quite funny but can we watch my thing now whereas I will watch this to the end I will watch all four minutes of this because it's just full of joy
0: and just listening to you describe it there recalling it like making me think about it in my head it was making me laugh and I think that, um, like you were saying earlier about duration, uh, knowing how long something is, um, and again, tied into you saying people wanting to turn it off, I got bored. Mm. And then it was still playing, and then it then becomes a different wave of funny.
1: Exactly, and this brings me to the example that surely gets brought up time and time again, uh, Sideshow Bob Stepping on Rakes. Yes. It is the best example ever of the... Um, frequently done joke where you do the same thing over and over again until it becomes less funny and then it becomes more funny and what makes that such a joy is that the joke is entirely in your head um, and that, that's what I like about um, Bert and Only Go Brutal
0: I had three or four waves of funny and then oh okay that's not oh and then it's funny again yeah like three or four times um, and that's completely enjoyable
1: and it's so much better that than someone who's just trying way too hard this is it's not related at all to YouTube but one of my favourite things is a Twitter feed called kids write jokes so this is um, someone ran a Tumblr website where um, uh, people were kids were submitting jokes and a lot of them were unusable because they made no sense or they were just terrible and he decided to publish those on a different website and they they're amazing And nothing cheers me up quite like reading the Twitter feed for Kids Write Jokes because you cannot predict what they're going to say. And it's just joyous, the the innocence and the stupidity and also the genius of these kids.
0: And is it something that you draw on for your own shows or for Comedy Club for Kids?
1: Maybe that's a place I could draw from. Maybe I should look to um, uh, Kids Write Jokes for inspiration. But the difference is um, I don't think kids find those things funny. I think if you showed those to a kid, they'd be like, no, what? That doesn't make any sense. They've not told the joke very well. I don't like it. But grown-ups like it because they know what it's supposed to be.
0: Yes. And probably the only kid that would like it is the one that wrote it originally, I suppose.
1: Yeah. It's like a a joke like, why did the chicken cross the road to get to the other side? It's really unusual that that is one of the first jokes we learn as a kid because it's an anti-joke. It's a very surreal and cerebral sort of a joke. And I never got it as a kid. And I think, you know... I only really understood it embarrassingly late in life oh I see the joke is that it's not a joke but you know you try explaining that to a young kid and they're not interested in that kind of thing
0: I suppose maybe it's good to start that we start with a joke like that because the only way's is up from there <laughs> yeah and on the subject of going up we are at our penultimate video yes we are
1: number two uh, this is a video um, called Rejected by Don Hertzfeld who is an animator and uh, again this was on channel four um, in, I think, 2000. But it lends itself very, very well to YouTube because it's about ten minutes long. Um, the premise is... this guy, an animator, has been given the task of making TV idents for uh, the Family Learning Channel and he's decided to make the most nightmarish, surreal, inappropriate pieces of nonsense. The only reason this is funny is because of the context. Because you when you watch these weird, horrible little cartoons, you're not just laughing at it yourself, you're imagining the TV executives at the so-called family learning channel not enjoying it and rejecting it. And the fact that the the title of the video is rejected, it reminds you of that. You constantly have that in mind when you're watching it. Someone had to watch this and say no. Someone had to imagine... Um, In fact, that's another thing that makes this funny. Similar to Burton, and Only Go Brutal, you're watching several things at once. You're watching this as if it were actually an ident on the Family Learning Channel. That's funny. You're watching it as if you are a fly on the wall in the meeting where, hey, Family Learning Channel, what do you think of my videos? And then that's hilarious. And you're also watching it as little funny films in their own right. And I think it's because there's that battle of those three different interpretations going on all at once. That's what makes you laugh. Because I think this film wouldn't be as funny if it was simply called weird funny videos or silly little cartoons. It's because they're supposed to be um, idents for the family learning channel. That's what makes it so funny.
0: Because some of them are absolutely brutal. Yeah,
1: well, most of them are. And it's so quotable as well. You know, there's... Um, I mean, the title I've given it when I wrote this down is My Spoon Is Too Big. That's not the title of the video, but that's the bit we all remember. A, um, it, it starts with... There's a little boy... Or is he a boy? Maybe it's a man. You can't tell. He's standing there holding a spoon that's about five times the size of him. And he, he turns to the camera and says, My spoon is too big. And then he says it again another four times very slowly. And it's again, it's very deceptively simple because it's um, a 2D drawing of just black and white. But it's, uh, I can't remember the technical term for it, but it's all shaky where it's the same two or three frames like redrawn over and over again so that it sort of wobbles on the page just to bring it to life. And at the same time, something that's very unusual, despite the drawings being incredibly crude and you know, like, deliberately more, you know, these put effort in to make it more crude than it would be if you'd done it the easy way by making it wobble. On top of that extremely crude visual style, the audio is perfect. And there is uh, a great sound design of like the, the gentle rumble of a street which just, it draws your attention in and it makes you, it makes it look even shitter you know, it's it's very easy to do a, a simple animation style but to to do a simple animation style and then put just the right amount of effort into just the right things that's that's genius
0: this it's, has it's turned very Suits Corner hasn't it? I think it sets the tone nicely as well the spoon thing to be, um as the first bit uh, it's sort of a gentle way of introducing you to the the world in which these characters inhabit.
1: It's like that old joke in the uh, New Yorker cartoons where someone has taken the cartoons but then not looked at the caption and then written their own caption, which is just a very, very simple description of exactly what you can see. Um, and that's what this cartoon does. It's a man standing... The first thing you think is, his spoon is too big. And sure <laughs> enough, he turns to the camera and says, my spoon is too big. And then... In walks a banana, stands there for a painful five seconds before you wait to find out what the hell does he want. And he says, I am a banana. (laughs) Then the sound of a vacuum cleaner. Then it says, you're watching the Family Learning Channel. Fucking brilliant. And I have stolen that sort of humour for myself. There was in uh, the last Map Men video, there was a bit where uh, we were talking about Napoleon. And I had some filler. I had to do a bit where you slowly zoom in on a portrait of Napoleon. And I thought, well, something has to happen visually on the screen. So I had a thought bubble appear, like, you know, first the two blobs and then finally the big blob where the text is going to be. And then the last thing I decided, what, what's he going to be saying? What should Napoleon say? And I went with, and I only realised this is probably very influenced by this video, I went with, I'm Napoleon. Because of course that's what he's going to say. He's Napoleon. That, that, that's who he is. In much the same way of my spoon is too big or I'm a banana. This has become very Sooth's Corner indeed, but yeah, I I think that's what I had in mind when I did that thing.
0: Okay, let's get even more Soothy then. Before we Uh get to your top uh video on YouTube, um Jay, you've been given an unlimited budget, an open brief. Oh, thank you very much. Um, what what would you make? What would if you had to contrive something that would get the most of the hits ever, what what do you think you would construct?
1: Oh wow. Well, I've never been offered a budget before. Um, I think the best thing you can do with a big budget is is make it look like you're wasting it. I think it would be hilarious if I could, you know, spend tens of thousands of pounds simply to travel to New Zealand to do a piece of camera where I say maybe just one syllable and then fly all the way back home. I, th- I think that would be a good use of that money.
0: Um, I've got to be careful now.
1: Because I have a Patreon, it means that people who watch my videos are often funding them so you know they need to see where the money is going and i think if they saw that i spent all that money on a plane ticket to new zealand for just one syllable um may- maybe they wouldn't like it
0: this isn't your patreons this is youtube youtube have said jay uh, we're flagging uh vimeo is catching us. <laughs> we need to reinvigorate the channel and have the most hits here's all the money you need uh go and make something
1: I don't know, because I think one of the best things about YouTube is the homemade feel and where you can turn limitations into a good thing. I think, me personally, I would if I won the lottery, I would spend that money on a fantastic green screen studio because, you know, that allows you to do pretty much anything and it's always very difficult. If I want to do green screen, I'm limited by how much we can actually move in the green screen space. For example, we did a scene where Mark Cooper Jones is wearing an enormous hat. And he had to do that scene on his knees because otherwise you know, you wouldn't have been able to get the hat in. So that's what i spend my money on. But um, apart from that, I don't know where I'd spend a, a big budget. I think I would combine uh, use of decent green screen and a trip to New Zealand to say one word.
0: And in terms of content, what do you think? Are there any sort of shoe-ins for going viral?
1: No, I don't think so. It's very hard to predict what will or won't go viral and that is proven by these countless corporate attempts to go viral that fail and it's you know you can squirm with embarrassment when you watch people who something you see now is people will pitch they will call it a viral video before it's been made like how dare you you know you cannot um plan for something to go viral you know so i don't think there is a magic bullet I don't think there is a special secret formula because if there was it would have been discovered by now and it would have been put to use by corporations
0: I think you're right about the corporate ones not really working because people can smell it can't they they can almost tell when something is trying to be engineered to go viral and almost uh, yeah
1: people are very very sensitive to when stuff has been put there by a company and that's why whenever I do adverts on my channel I make Uh, I put a lot of effort into making sure that the advert and the content you came for never bleed into each other. Um, What you get on YouTube nowadays, this modern style of YouTube that the list we've been talking about doesn't really fit into, um, people like to do what they call smooth transitions from the content into the advert. And you'll have someone talking about something. Let's say they're doing a video about the top 10 times when uh, Count Duckula predicted the future or something like that. And then before the end of the video, they will subtly segue from talking about the thing that you came for into talking about, um, you know, a product like Skillshare or NordVPN or The Great Courses Plus and, and so on. And whenever I see that happening, whenever I see a smooth transition, it... It hurts a bit. It's horrible to watch because you, you're you not quite sure when the thing you came for stopped and the words that they were paid to say appear. And that's why whenever I do my adverts, I will have... The video will end, the screen will go black, you know, like you're watching ITV in the 90s, and then the advert will start. And I'll make the advert silly and funny so that people will still want to watch and share and, you know, the advertisers like it, but I won't... I'll never have the so-called smooth transition. And something that really bugs me, I've had people... Um, you know they'll leave comments on my videos saying how much they like the advert because the adverts are made to be funny and you know, it always warms the coppers of my heart when people enjoy the adverts but something that annoys me is when people I assume they're young people they try to compliment the advert by saying wow, that was so smooth you did the smoothest transition I've ever seen because in their young whippersnapper born with YouTube heads they think smooth means good they don't realise that I'm actually trying to be as unsmooth as possible, I'm trying to be rough, I'm trying to be abrupt, but the fact that they use the word smooth to mean good advert, it just goes to show what most advertising on YouTube is like, and and I want nothing to do with it.
0: Let's get to your number one.
1: Oh yeah, sorry, I got sidetracked. Right, let's see, Um, number one. Well, uh, this video is much older than all the others, so um, the videos that we've been looking at um, are from, let's just uh, quickly go through the list... Um, Within the last three years, within the last three years, within the last five years. Seventies, naughties, naughties, noughties, noughties. And this last one I've chosen is a YouTube video from 1902. This is... Um, it's uh, the world's first ever sci-fi movie. It's called A Trip to the Moon. It's a bit disingenuous to call it a YouTube video, but YouTube is where you will find it now. Um, it is one of my favourite videos of all time. It's a sci-fi film from 1902. Um, where a bunch of wizards or are they druids or academics I'm not entirely sure they build a rocket they go to the moon they hit some aliens with umbrellas and then take them home and it's mad it, it's so much fun to watch because it's like nothing you've ever seen first of all the version that I used to enjoy watching which I've actually found quite difficult to find on YouTube now they've, someone's taken it down is the colourised version so the film is from 1902, but there was a short time later, in 1906, someone did a colorized version. And it wasn't colorized the way you would do it now with, you know, with computers. It was done painstakingly by hand painting big globules of colour directly onto the film. And this makes it look like nothing else. It's somehow this process makes it look even more black and white than black and white does. And I I read up about this. Apparently it was done um, for a Spanish audience, which is why there are some scenes where they are flying the French flag, but it's been painted the colours of the Spanish flag. And, you know, plenty more weird stuff where that came from. And the soundtrack to this particular video, because obviously 1902, it's a silent film, but the soundtrack that comes with the version on YouTube was done by Air, as in the the French um, pop outfit. And it goes together so well. And whereas you might watch that and think, well, that's not authentic, that's not how they would have watched it in 1906. Well, actually it was, because the music would have been different every time. The music would have been played by someone in the room, probably, you know, judging the audience. And therefore, watching this film from 1902 with a contemporary soundtrack from 2011 by Air is the perfect way to enjoy the film. And it goes with it really, really well. Also, it... It doesn't look like a film because this is really early on in the um, history of filmmaking where each scene is... It's more like watching a play and each scene against a very flat backdrop goes on a bit too long. But it's just hypnotic because it's like nothing else you've ever seen.
0: And is, is it something that you could take the, the style of and slap it into your own work or would you be tempted to make something of a similar ilk?
1: Well, if I was to reference that film, I'd be far from the first person to do so because it's become very, very iconic and well-known. So the most famous scene is the um, when they fly to the moon. The moon has an angry face in it and the rocket goes in his eye and I think, I think he's, he's bleeding from the eye or crying. It's, it's quite horrible to look at, but that's an incredibly famous scene. That's been referenced loads of times. Best reference overall to this video is the music video to Tonight Tonight by the Smashing Pumpkins, which is basically a reworking of this film. Or
0: The Mighty Boosh.
1: Or The Mighty Boosh Moon, which is, again, that's that didn't make the list, but, you know, uh, watching Noel Fielding with shaving cream on his face being the moon talking about himself is, is so funny. It's brilliant. And that's based on this as well.
0: It feels like a surprise inclusion to have on your list. I don't know, because of when it was made or
1: well what it has in common with all the others is it's the sort of thing that if i was you know showing my friends check this thing out on youtube and we'd started a qtube i i would routinely show people this because you know it, it's funny as in can you believe this is you know what passed for entertainment in those days but it's also genuinely entertaining it's it's surreal like all the other stuff i love um and i'm, I'm fascinated by how old it is i, I think um There's something about the year 1902 that sounds even longer ago than the 19th century. It's, you know, this film is from 19. Oh, okay, Okay. Living Memory, 02. Uh Whoa! Films go back that far. You know, this is before the First World War, a decade, more than a decade before the First World War. You know, Queen Victoria was, you know, she'd only been dead a year. But it's amazing to think that something that's that long ago begins with the number 19. I remember years that begin with the number 19. It's, it's the, the fact that it's as long ago as you can possibly go, almost, while still saying a year that sounds like living memory. That makes it sound longer ago, as, you know, as ridiculous as that sounds. And also the fact that it's from long enough ago that you can absolutely guarantee that every single person involved in this film is dead, and all their children are dead, and all of their children are probably also dead. That's how, that's how old it is.
0: And another scary fact, date-wise, that uh, I learned from you very recently, is that we're nearly as far from Beatles Anthology being released as Anthology was from Long and Winding Road being released.
1: Oh, God, you're right. I think when I made this comment, this was on a podcast I did about a year and a half ago, so I think that moment is very, very shortly upon us. That the halfway point between um, the oh. Beatles breaking up and the... And the present day is the anthology.
0: Which is just mental, isn't
1: it? Um, I found it a rather scary fact, is that this year, um, the halfway point between Monty Python coming on TV for the first time and the present day is The Far Show coming on TV for the first time. Wow. There you go. The Far Show is exactly halfway between Monty Python and the present day.
0: That is ridiculous. Um, and while well, i clumsily brought up the Beatles I feel that's something we've not touched on because the first I became aware of you was at Mark Watson's Comedy Marathon Oh were you there? when you were playing through all the
1: Beatles songs back to back Did you manage to stay awake for the entire show?
0: I didn't have to leave. I had to leave halfway through to go to work um, so I stayed awake for the entire show I just
1: wasn't you? <laughs> I can't imagine what you would have been like you know when you got to work you know with your head on the desk
0: I was I was surprisingly okay actually it just just kept powering through, had things to do. Um, and then luckily I finished work just uh, half an hour before the end of the show, so jumped on the internet and saw the conclusion and didn't recognise any of the people or any of the things that were happening. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I um, wasn't actually involved on the main stage with a lot of the show because I came on near the beginning to sort of announce what I was going to do. Um, I should explain, by the way, I did a, one of the challenges for Mark Watson's 26 and a half marathon show, um, I said I was going to play every Beatles song from memory, uh, which takes all day. Um, but it meant that I was doing a lot of my challenge in a room around the corner. I was in the studio in the Pleasance and I had a, you know, a small audience of people coming and going. There was occasional bits when I was on my own, like doing it just to the live feed at home. Um, but I missed everything on the main stage. And it meant that every time I went you know, for a little break to watch the main show... I didn't have a clue what was going on they were throwing Brussels sprouts at each other and you know the the room stank by the end of it when you've got the the main room at the Pleasance there can't have been more than about about 100 people in there but you know it smelled like more than 100 people because they stay in there the whole time and you know a lot of them are sleeping in there and eating in there and it's not really a comedy show it's more like a a hostage situation but you get such a great sense of um, camaraderie at that show and everyone's helping each other out actually when i was doing my last song um the the final song in the beatles oeuvre is i me mine and i started playing it but then uh, my strap broke from the guitar and i needed to hold my feet up and then so rufus hound comes running in and then he decides to lie down and be my footstool and then the microphone's slipping and adam hills comes along and holds up the microphone for me And then the song needs harmony and Mitch Ben comes along and starts singing the harmony along. And, you know, that. meanwhile, there's all these people still doing their own weird tasks in the background and we're all helping each other out. And it's such a weird but fun show.
0: And do you retain all of those songs uh, in your head at any given time or were you having to... Uh, Gen up in advance and refresh your memory on some
1: of them. No, the only one I had to refresh my because I'm a huge Beatles fan. In fact, this is the first podcast maybe ever where I've not talked about the Beatles until now. Um, I've I've got all the songs up there in my head, um, but the White Album I had to revise a bit because it's the one I know not quite as well as the others. Um, And the thing that I found hardest was not you know learning all the guitar parts um, because I can do that, but the thing that was harder was the lyrics. And the the songs I had to revise were the stuff from the White Album, like the slightly more obscure ones, or the ones I don't like so much, and also the really early Beatles songs. There were were some obscure B-sides from 1963 that I'd never heard before with really awful and very dated lyrics. But that was part of the fun, was doing the songs in the order they were recorded. It meant that I got a really good sense for how the Beatles evolved and changed over their career in nine hours rather than eight years.
0: And was it difficult finding out the order that they, they were recorded in, or was it all well, quite widely known? No, that was very
1: easy, because I have this book by Ian MacDonald called Revolution in the Head, which is just a, a list of every Beatles song, and it's conveniently numbered in the order they were recorded. So that was my reference, and that was why I got a list that contained uh, no covers, so, you know, Twist and Shout wasn't in there, and... Um, and it also, there were three different versions of the song Revolution, because there are three recordings. One of which is Revolution 9, which is not really a song, it's like a sound collage that goes on for nine minutes. And I did attempt that as well. <laughs>
0: on the guitar. On
1: the guitar. I um I accidentally made a, a big deal of that song. I kept on saying, Hey, it's only only a few hours to go until Revolution 9. Oh, Revolution 9 is on its way soon. And then when the time finally came, they hauled me out onto the main stage and said, We've got to see this, we've got to see what you've done. And rather embarrassingly, it wasn't a very clever plan at all. I just sort of got my guitar and started playing the chord of C. Like, and then said, number nine, number nine, number nine, for about a minute. And throwing in the occasional sound effects that are possible to do with your mouth. It wasn't very funny. And after that build-up, I feel really bad. I shouldn't have mentioned it at all. But it now means I can say that I have played every single beat song, And I didn't have to look at chord sheets or lyric sheets. I was worried when I did the task that, um, that by the end of it, I'd, I'd be sick of the Beatles. But uh, fortunately, that hasn't happened. And I still listen to the Beatles an unhealthy amount.
0: And did it take you the full 26 hours? Like, how, was, how, was, how difficult was pacing it so that it lasted?
1: It took me about nine hours, and I knew that it wasn't going to take me the entire 26 hours that were available to me. I was able to actually turn up at the beginning of the show, which was at about 9pm on the first night, announce my intent go home, get some sleep and then come back to finish the challenge and the whole thing took about 9 hours I could have done it quicker but I wanted to have um, toilet breaks yeah. and the thing that was difficult it wasn't um, remembering all the songs because you know I already knew the songs anyway and it wasn't um, learning how to play them the thing that made it a difficult challenge was just keeping my voice going for that long and also making sure that my fingers didn't hurt it was just the, how long it was that made it difficult if I was given any task in the world to do, if I was given nine hours to do anything, in order to make the time fly, in my head I'd be thinking about the Beatles' career. I'd be like, "Oh, I'm up to a hard day's night now, so you know, not long for, not long till Beatles for Sale," and that would keep me going. So you know, it's a very, very—the time flew by when I did it. The only reason I knew it took so long is because my throat hurt and my fingers hurt, and the strangest injury was my um, my chest hurt from where the guitar was digging in. That's not an injury that I was used to, but. That's apparently what happens when you play guitar for that long.:
0: And did you train much beforehand? and that sounds like a weird question to ask, but did you sort of do long spells?: of... I considered training, I
1: thought I'd have to, and I thought I'd have to you know see how long I can go. The only real training I did, I was um, touring my show at the time, doing very long drives up and down the country, and I just had the beatles on uh, a playlist that I'd made that had the songs in the order, and I was just singing along to them, just trying to see, can my voice do it and can I remember all the lyrics? But no, I didn't really do any proper training on the guitar, um, but I, I, I think I got away with it.
0: And in terms of gigs, what do you have coming up?
1: Uh, I've still got my tour. I've got uh, several dates left on my tour of Disgusting Songs for Revolting Children. If you go to jForman.co.uk, uh, there is a list of all my upcoming gigs.
0: And I think that's something that's quite apparent with you, Jay, is that you were an early adopter of things like YouTube. So you've got all of the names that you want, really, haven't you? So YouTube channel is J Foreman uh, you've got uk as your website. Yeah, they're not
1: taken apart from Instagram which I almost never use but someone has taken Jay Foreman on Instagram. So on Instagram I'm jforeman51 but you know you you won't find anything there I'd literally never use it. But yes, my Twitter is at @jforeman, my website is uk, and my YouTube name is J Foreman. Thank goodness.
0: And someone's trying to steal your identity who plays American football.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, there's, there's two um, other more important Jay Foremans than me. One of them is an American footballer who he must be annoyed that he didn't get the Twitter name at J. Foreman before I did because I get loads of people messaging me thinking it's him. And the other one is a, a very big, important businessman. He is a, um, a toy manufacturer who often gets asked his opinion on uh, important things about the toy industry. I got an email that was clearly meant for him saying, we would like you to come to uh, Delhi and uh, give a speech to the Indian toy-making market. And I thought, well, I was writing an Edinburgh show at the time, so like, I'm going to chase these emails, these emails as far as I can <laughs> and tell them that I am up for making the speech. And um, it got worryingly close to the wire before I had to actually, you know, really... I-, I didn't want to ever explain I am the wrong Jay Foreman, but I wanted it to be really obvious to them that they'd made a mistake when I sent them a draft of my speech and it went along the lines of um, hello my name is Jay Foreman I am 28 years old which I was at the time and um, I have an A in GCSE business studies also I've been playing with toys since I was about three years old so I do have experience in the toy industry I am very grateful that you've invited me to this talk because I've always wanted to visit India for free um If you have any questions, please ask them now. I've got 28 minutes left of my speech allocated time. Please give me your questions. So I sent them that draft, you know, expecting them to email back saying, whoops, oh dear, our mistake. Or, you know, maybe they'd be angry with me. But instead, it was the most disappointing reply. They just sent this reply saying, sorry, we thought you were the businessman, J4. I know you thought I was the (laughs) businessman. Oh, you yeah. know full well that I'm being silly, but anyway, I didn't get my free trip to India, but I did at least get a little routine to tell during my Edinburgh show.
0: And that brings it beautifully back to my spoon is too big. It does? Well, say the obvious thing. Oh, yeah. yeah we thought you were the business <laughs> man,
1: yeah, no, in fact, you know what? Here I am again, assuming, oh, foreigners not being funny. No, they were being just as really obviously ridiculous as I was, and that was actually a really funny, intelligent thing to say, which is, no, we thought you were the businessman. Jay
0: Foreman, American footballer, thank you very much for coming on My Top Ten.
1: Oh, it has been lovely. Thank you very much. Goodbye. So
0: that was Jay. I could have talked to him for so much longer, but he was probably very glad. And you must be too, dear listener, because this is a chunky old podcast now. So I'll keep it brief here, I'll be back next week with Frankie Ward and she'll be discussing her top 10 girl band songs. You can find me on the social medias and Patreon at Top10pod. But for now, stay safe, see you soon.
1: Bye bye, bye bye bye.